Welcome to Everything Is Up, a podcast about the real-life stories of people who have created extraordinary levels of success. These are conversations with people who are constantly striving to take things to the next level. And now, here's your host... Everything is up with Tamara. Joining me today is Randy Sue Deckard. Which Randy is it? Randy Sue? Do you prefer or do you prefer Randy? I prefer Randy. The the whole South. You just couldn't help yourself, and you had to sing that last part. <laughs> okay, so you guys all know we're in. I'm in Texas. And here's what's really funny. Um, Randy is also in Texas. Um, my receptionist in my office is Mary Alice. You know, and it's of course the two names. And yeah. So it we are, it's the South thing. We just have to have both names. Although I will tell you growing up, if my mother ever said Tamara Lee, I knew I was going the other direction. <laughs> yeah, when it, when it was the full name, including last, you knew that you were in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you are in big trouble. So I was telling Randy before we jumped on um, camera today, I was like, hey, we could probably sit and talk forever. So today's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, Randy, you are a senior vice president with Bessler. Uh, you are you are stationed stationed. I sound like a military brat at this point. So, um, you are um, you're officing out of Capel, Texas, correct? Yes. Um, where is Bessler located? Yeah, so the the company's headquarters is in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, and interestingly enough, over COVID, uh, which we were also talking about before the break, we actually let go of the office. So while I've been fully remote, um, the company it has is now fully remote. You know, so I have had the privilege of working with a, a success coach, uh, Darren Hardy, mm-hmm. and in. All of this, you know, pre-COVID, you know, he would tell us leaders, you listen, like his entire staff's been remote for years upon years. Mm-hmm. So one of his, his comments was, well, everybody's finally catching up to the 21st century, <laughs> you know, going fully remote. Um, all that I heard on that note that in San Francisco, their occupancy rate downtown in um, office space was something like 35%. It was super high um, due to companies just going remote and giving up that big overhead, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure you can absolutely relate to since you are, the company Bessler actually does hospital... I, a financing for you guys don't actually finance for them, but you you actually help them to streamline their revenue. Is did I get that right? Yeah. So we actually help them recover revenue that would be otherwise lost, and then also protect reimbursement. So like just like you or I file um, taxes to the government. Um, they have to file taxes, but it's called a cost report, but it's the same thing. So you want to get a check. You don't want to have to write a check. So it's all about, um, you know, preventing revenue leakage and and protecting reimbursement so they can serve patients and their communities at large. Yeah. So how, what is your feeling on a lot of these big hospital chains um, just out of just inquiring minds want to know because so many of the small hospitals are now being swallowed up by some of these big hospital conglomerates. 
how how is that not in a negative way because that uh, the way I was going to ask the question it probably would sound negative but how is that either positively serving the community or negatively maybe impacting the community sure so I I think it, there's a lot of a lot of variables but you know when there is you know a health system acquiring you know a standalone especially in a rural area rural area it can be helped propped up because there's more financial backing, so more resources, so they can better serve that community, whether it's different programs they can offer um, because they have them at the, at the large facilities, but they can create something mobile in that rural community or, you know, smaller, smaller setting. Um, that's one way that can be very positive. And then I think one way that it can be negative is, you know, there are instances where it will be, you know, purchased. And then over the long term, they decide that they need, they close it down and that can really hurt communities, right? Yeah. There are some initiatives um, by CMS um, for, for rural, for rural hospitals, you know, specifically. Um, and so they have like additional funding to help them. But I think one of the things if, if you're not in the healthcare industry that people don't realize is that hospitals have very lean margins. And when I say lean, I'm like just a couple percent. So, you know, in order for them, you know, to operate and serve, you know, their patients and the communities at large, it does require, you know, um, very tight finances um, so they can, you know, serve year after year. And I think sometimes that's where the pro comes in, having a larger hospital with a little bit more resources, because even with state and government funding, it can be a challenge um, based on the patient population. Yeah. You know, I think about some of our rural com communities here in, you know, thinking about West Texas, mm -hmm. where there's, you know, that upper northwest segment of Texas where there's just a ton of really small rural communities yeah. you know, where the hospital systems are, you know, some, some of these bigger hospital systems are going in and I've, you know, just had some of the, you know, the community just complaining. And I had, you know, in my mind, I'm like, there has to be a positive here for the community. Um, and that does make sense. You know, if if the margins are that tight on, you know, these hospitals, having these bigger hospitals with slightly bigger margins, if, you know, if they manage their finances correctly. I, so you said CMS. So I know a lot of probably our listeners don't even know what CMS yeah. is. So CMS is the Center for Medicare Services. They kind of, they are the federal level that manages the healthcare in our country. Them and health and human services kind of, I think co collectively yeah. maybe co-op together on that one. Um, but anytime like a hospital or a physician, um, I think Medicare is also run through CMS. Mm -hmm. That is that whole bigger picture of kind of that, we, I, I call them big brother, but that's just my, my um, term of endearment for CMS is you know, <laughs> my term of endearment for them is that is kind of that, that financial or that federal level um, kind of body, kind of like we have the IRS 
the medical yeah. world has CMS. So exactly. And and then there's like a like there's also like the Medicaid, right? So, you know, yeah. And in I think one of the things, like I said, if you're not in the healthcare industry, not realizing, but you know, med, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, they're like st- their state and then their government programs. Um, and both of those together, whether it's you know, low income or um just because of age, you know, where you are, like I said, like a Medicare, um, those both of those programs can work hand in hand. And the government is trying to be, there's there's a term, you know, it's budget neutral. I think we hear this when it's election time, right? right? Well, for hospitals and how they help hospitals, whether it's low income pool um, and trying to serve um, you know, areas where there are, you know, financial challenges and you know, so socioeconomic um, things to consider, you know, overall, they're trying to still to be budget neutral. And so those dollars get spread across a nation. And so you can just imagine there are a lot of rural or smaller areas um, to be served. So those dollars are really stretched very thin. Well, I mean, when you go from West Coast to East Coast or vice versa, East Coast to West Coast, from D.C. Mm-hmm. all the way to California, and you think about how massive, you know, our we, we've got what three hundred million um, on the ground just here, and mm-hmm. from coast to coast, and there just there just isn't enough money. I mean, there just isn't, and, and I don't know that there is ever going to be enough, especially as our population ages too, because uh-huh. then we, you know, the funding that is needed to kind of help. Um, on that end too. Well, and, you know, Medicaid with Medicaid, I mean, serving our youngest of youngest, right. And our, mm-hmm. you know, pregnant females. Yeah. There's just, when you think about how massive it is and how few dollars actually go, I, I can see it. I can. I think that that's where you guys are so helpful with Bessler um, is actually stepping in and helping them to, you know, <clears throat> go recover some of the money that ne- they wouldn't necessarily have. I think that, yeah. that that makes it, that's important. This is important work that you guys do. So tell us a little bit about Bessler as, you know, as a whole, what took you to Bessler? Because I know you were with um, another company prior to, so how did you end up at Bessler? So interesting story. Um, you know, I've been in healthcare my whole career, I'm actually a trained scientist, so I did research, and I was in life sciences um, on the commercial side. So I was at a private, um, you know, startup in North Texas, and I knew that we were going to be bought out by a big box lab. Um, so similar to our conversation earlier um, about hospitals gobbling up, well, the big box labs, the Quest and Lab Corps, you know, are always building, uh, buying, you know, small regional labs. And I didn't want to work for a big box lab. No offense, Quest. <laughs> if anyone's listening, um, or LabCorp, or LabCorp. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to work for a big box lab. I really thrived and enjoyed the startup environment. And in my role, um, I had worked myself up to director of commercial operations, which which meant that I got to interface with all of our our clients. And um, at the time, that was large hospital systems like Baylor Scott and White in the in the DFW Metroplex, 
physician groups um, like Health Texas Physician Network. And then I also near and dear to my heart, Texas Oncology, which serves oncology um, patients in the state of Texas. So, you know, those are just a few examples of some of the people that we worked with. And so I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare, but I knew I wanted to still be client facing. And I didn't necessarily have to stay in lab because of my role. And LinkedIn, believe it or not, the power of LinkedIn. So I um, have reached out um, to um, the hiring manager because they had a director of client relations role. And I was like, you know, one of the requirements was understanding MPS. And I had just read the book by um, Fred Reichfield on on MPS, and it's you know the you know the one question that we all should ask, and that's about you know would you recommend this company to someone, and the theory behind it, and how some companies had had big turnarounds, and because we were bought being bought out, you know I had taken that to leadership at Medfusion. They're like, yeah, we we'll start some of this, or we'll think about it, but Quest is coming in, and. Because of my conversation with her, I was like, but have you thought about X, Y, Z? And have you thought about this? She's like, well, I think you should really talk to the COO. And so I chatted with him twice. And then he's like, I'm going to be in Dallas. Um, I want to bring someone else and we'll have an interview. So we had an interview and I knew there was internal candidates that were also interested in the role. Um, I ended up getting the role and then you know, the rest is history. Um, as far as, you know, since my, you know, time at Bessler, I've went from director of client relations to VP of sales and now I'm SVP and have been and I'm over sales, marketing, customer success. So it was always my dream or goal to always interact with the customer. I'm customer obsessed. <laughs> um, and you know, for me, it's not just the paying customer. I look at everyone as my customer, like the ecosystem. It's my colleagues, you know, so the internal and external. And I think I think that's what makes me really good at my job is number one, I truly understand and have walked, walked with the customers that are paying and bring that back and cross-functionally collaborate with my internal customers so we can always deliver the best service and experience. You know, that is a key. So I know a lot of companies are, you know, they talk about um, customer service, Mm -hmm. um, but you nailed it just now with a different word when you said the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Being that it's not just, it's not one moment in time, it's the entire length, it's the entire length of time that that customer, whether they are still a prospect or whether they're no longer a customer, like that there is an experience in all of those areas, would you say? Absolutely. And and for you know, one of the things that I got interested once I kind of dove into that book and MPS, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. There's actually a, a professional association, CXPA, so it's customer experience professional association. And you know, I joined and I got connected to a whole um, slew of amazing, amazing people. And, um, you know, that's really where I was like, learned about the ecosystem and that end to end, you know, and in, in CX, they have a term they call, call it moments of truth. 
Um, they call it MOT, M-O-T, but it's moments of truth. And it's like, what really matters um, to a customer at that particular point of time? So that's why they're called moments of truth. And so now with the internet, you know, there are stats that before someone, whether it's B2C or B2B, so whether it's a you know consumer or business, you have either looked on the internet, searched, talked to someone, you've already formed a lot of decisions about that company, whether it's, you know, like I said, a consumer or a business before you actually enter the buying cycle. Um, and I think that's one of the things that sometimes people forget. And that's why the customer experience is so crucial from the very get-go, even at the awareness stage, you what is the company's point of view and how do they want the customer to experience the brand? And that means we have to think about how others might talk about the brand because of their experience, or if they search, what would they find? You know, um, so yeah, it, it is a whole ecosystem. So I love the fact that you brought that up and let me kind of go down that rabbit hole with you. <laughs> because I'm obsessed with it as well. You know, when, when I hire a staff member, the very first thing I have them do is read raving fans. I don't care if they read it. I don't care if they watch it on the internet. I don't care if you find and download it on audibles, but you have to experience, you know, raving fans by Sheldon Boyles. And I'm like, it is because it is so important yeah. that, you know, this awareness, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneur listeners. We've got a lot of CEOs, COOs that listen to the podcast. And I, with your experience, I wanted you on the podcast so bad because I wanted to have this conversation because I think it is critical in this day and age that to be good is not good enough. No. It's, it's it's not good enough. You have to be extraordinary excellent you you know if you're going to survive you have to take it up a notch um and the awareness of what do people think of you and i know you know my mother would say bless her rest her soul my mother would say you really shouldn't care what other people think about you but if you don't Right. And if you're not thinking about how they think about the business and you, if you're the face in, of that brand or you are, you know, you do have to think about all mm. of these things because it does matter. It does the perception. Your perception of reality is your reality. Absolutely. And 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 the thing is, you know, over time, it is become so much easier to get information, right? So like, I don't, I don't care if, if you're looking for a job and you're like considering, uh, considering um, a company, you can go to Glassdoor, look at reviews. You can, I mean, you can learn a whole lot about that company. Well, it's no different if you want to buy, buy something, what do you do? You can go look at reviews, right? If you're a consumer and you want to look at a product, whether, you know, whatever the case it may be it's no different and even for 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 business same thing like if you're a software company there's G2 that does reviews there's so many different places you can go and then you can just hey have you used this product before how'd you like it did did it serve you right um we do this all the time and but i think now it's so easy to get information and you know the negative side to that is when something 
happens and you don't handle handle it well um you know there are there are companies that have been you know decimated um you know in public because of how they've handled you know situations and you know it's affected their stocks right so the one uh, that comes to mind is budweiser yes <laughs> Well, I was, I was, yeah, I, yeah, I was trying to be diplomatic, but like, yeah, there are there. That is not that is the most recent one. But you think about the huge impact and the ripple that it has because Budweiser doesn't just produce beer, right? That's an industry. There's, you know, people that are, you know, there there are people that are delivering that beer. There are. You know, there's all these different areas like the labels, like, you know, the colors that go on the labels, the cans, like I just could go on and on and on. Like yeah. it has a huge, a huge ripple effect. Um, and you think about such an iconic brand in America and and like a, a misstep in public like that, it can be devastating. Well, I think it has been devastating to them and you're perfectly okay because one of the things about this podcast is I intend to keep it real. So we will literally <laughs> just keep it real. Um, and that's why I kind of said that, you know, the one that comes to mind because it yeah. is, it's kind of unfolding mm-hmm. now, like yeah. it's happening and it it is the perfect truth to what we are talking about because we are watching this iconic brand stumble. Right. Literally, they're stumbling. You know, they are, you know, maybe they are in uncharted territory for them, which, you know, they are. And, you know, that's not to say it can't happen to any one of us. Right. right? And, And if you are not cognizantly aware that it could happen to you, you need to be wake up. Right. Wake up right now, because any one of us can misstep and not know how to handle it, um, feel like we're doing our best to handle it and yet fumble that ball right on the one yard line. Like and, and I feel like that that's kind of what happened. And, you know, I pray that they literally figure it out because it is an iconic brand. I mean, I grew up with the Budweiser, you know, um, Clydesdales and the wagon in the Macy's Day Parade with the Dalmatian sitting at the top with, I mean, like, like when you say iconic, you know, you're not kidding. We've grown up with this brand Um, and and, in it very quickly, um, it unraveled for them. So, you know, I just pray that, you know, they are able to come out of it. It's, it's interesting though, because it can happen to any one of us. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's also about innovation too. So there's, there's that side, the misstep, there's also innovation. If you think about companies, you know, um, like a, a, a Kodak, right. You know, that was, you know, huge, you know, film. Right. And if, if you don't innovate, like how many people actually own like a Kodak or a Nikon camera now, right? Like what do people do now? They use their phone. Um, or, or like when, you know, um, the movie where you used to rent a movie from or blockbuster, I just blanked on the name there. (laughs) Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, um, and I remember them having red boxes and, oh, that was so convenient because the red boxes were, you know, by the grocery, by the grocery store. So you check out to grab a movie versus going to blockbuster and then Netflix streaming came on and boom, you know, so it's, it's you know, that awareness, but it's also innovating too. Like you, 
once again, I, I, I talk about ecosystem. There's ecosystem in business all the time and go to market is a number of things. It's, you know, understanding, you know, the, the, you know, the, the customer experience and the point of view, of the organization, but then it's also as being proactive and looking ahead and how do we continually innovate? Because if you don't innovate, you're going to end up being like a blockbuster. I think there's one novel blockbuster left in the US. And you think about that, those used to be on literally, you know, you couldn't go a few blocks without seeing a blockbuster. A blockbuster. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it then it, what it kind of reminds me of is what literally has happened to the entire world in what the last three years when COVID hit and everybody had to pivot. I'm, I, I mean, not, and we're not talking about, it didn't affect just the United States. It affected worldwide. Mm-hmm. Companies were, you know, pivoting, but families were pivoting. Kids were being homeschooled and parents were like, I have never homeschooled my child ever, right? It's a, so we are, I think, as humans, we we adapt very well. I, I think that we are able to adapt um, to things very well. Um, so I do think that that is helpful that we have that as part of our nature. I do think sometimes that it is it's also very difficult because we don't like change. Yeah, and and it's it that's it's so interesting because certain I would say the majority of people like what they like. Right. And so change is, you know, even though, you know, there's changes inevitable, but they kind of get dragged along. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where, you know, I like to comment on my background, you know, as a science clinical scientist, I was trained for two things, one to fail and iterate, right. That's what experimenting is. You fail and iterate and like, change is part of the process. Like we, we have a, what's called PI process improvement. And so you're always looking for, you know, ways to do an experiment better in in that iterative. And so, you know, failing does not mean anything to me. It's just, oh, I'm getting that closer to the next best thing, right? Which is like the end result. And for go to market, how I translate that is, you know, I, I'm always looking at how can I improve the customer experience, improve is and and that's through improving the product and you know that awareness, what they see, what they hear, what is our point of view, and then that iteration, always like what is the next thing and being aware of that and having that long term. Because like I said, if you don't innovate, that's also an issue as well. Oh yeah. Because you do, as a company, you would get stagnant. And with all, I mean, I saw a graph, maybe on LinkedIn, where they were talking about um, like, like growth of a company. And they were talking about linear growth and exponential growth Mm -hmm. and talking about the last 20 years of what linear growth and then that exponential growth looks like. And I thought it was extremely interesting because from basically like the 1950s to about 2000 linear growth was a year of growth think of it as like taking one step mm-hmm. like one step okay 
From 2000 to 2023, it has been exponential growth. So one step is equal to 10 years of growth. And if you were, if you got stagnant in linear growth, you got left behind. You didn't survive. You're you're not surviving, let alone forget thriving. You just flat didn't survive as a company. And then COVID hit. Right. And we, as you know, as a world, because I know it wasn't just in this country, restaurants, there were restaurants that didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's, I, I am utterly amazed at this whole, you know, customer experience with exponential growth in a company, because how do small entrepreneurs keep up? Right. And it's funny because I was going to bring up AI, right? Because that's kind of our next, our next ledge. Right. Um, And so, you know, I I actually, I think AI is the equalizer for small companies. Um, I think it will be too. That's a good point. um, um, So we kind of segued, but it's, it's the right segue. (laughs) You know, when I look at some of the things that can be done, um, and I'm just going to, run through a few things. If you're, if you're, whether you're a solopreneur or a small organization, there are, there's AI tools out there right now. Let's say you want to build a website. Back in the day, you had to code and then came along WordPress and WordPress had kind of, I'll just say you can get out of the box and you could customize things. You didn't need to know code. Well, now AI can ask you things. um, You can give it verbal prompts like type prompts and it will create a website for you like it is mind blowing um and if you are an e-commerce site and you need to you know have a credit card same thing you can to set up a shopping cart easy you can literally you know within minutes set something up virtual assistant we only have so much time and one of the greatest things i don't care is if you're a leader solopreneur small business your time is super important. Virtual assistants can can take things off your plate. And then there's also AI from that optimization standpoint of what what is a mundane task that is repeated frequently, right? So there's two ways to look at that. Calendars, AI. Um, Like you and I right now are doing this podcast. If this was actually a sales call, it could, AI could be listening and it could document in your CRM, which is just where you store, you know, that that conversation. And then it can also start on the follow-up email and give you prompts of when you should follow up. Like there is so much that is changing so rapidly, but I think it's the ultimate equalizer because if you're a solopreneur or small business, you don't need to have a huge budget. A lot of these tools are not that much money. They aren't that expensive, yeah. They are not that expensive and they can super, super, super help you. And then there's chat GPT. You need to write a business plan. You need to write a sales something. It will get you 80% there. Once again, huge time saver. So AI, I think AI is gonna be the ultimate ultimate um, equalizer. And even for like you were saying, like how 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 can a small company be competitive? AI can help you with your competitor. Like, hey, you know, this competitor said this in the news. Does this look like they're going to start a new product? 
you know, like there's a lot, once again, a lot of different ways that chat GPT, et cetera, can be used. And I really see it as a, as an equalizer um, in a lot of different ways. I know a lot of people are worried about their job. I just, I just view it as I have to be more skilled. So upskill or reskilled for my job, because there are some things that I do that are mundane, but that just means from that human, I get to add more context in what I deliver to the right. organization for value and to our clients. Well, that, and it cuts, it makes you also, um, I think if you're using AI as an ally, right, in your job, knowing the pieces of you that it could replace, if you're using it to your advantage, you won't have to be replaced. It'll just make you better. All oh, absolutely. Around. Absolutely. It's funny that we're talking about this because last night, you know, my dad, my um, my mom passed several years ago. So Sunday nights are dinner with dad at my house. So dad was at the house and we're sitting around the kitchen table and we were talking. Of course, you know, the holidays are upon us. And um, so we're all just kind of like, okay, do we do an Amazon wish list? Do we go to Elster? Like everybody, the whole family is everybody's trying to figure out what we're going to do. So of course, here's my dad and his 80. And he's like, um, what are you guys talking about? Like, so we were kind of giving him a hard time. And I was like, dad, you just need to go back and watch the Jetsons like on TV, because I said, it'll catch you up to speed. And he goes, you know, the Jets, I was like, yeah, we had, they had Zoom calls. They had, you know, flying cars. Cause he had just said that he thought that he had seen something in the news where there was a car flying right above the treetops. And I was like, just go back and watch the Jetsons. I, I go, you'll, he, cause he said my housekeeper. And I said, don't you have a rumba? And he goes, yeah. And I go, like I said, go watch the Jetsons. And of course, everybody was laughing at the table because there is so much truth to that, right? It's like, it wasn't predicted. It just flat knew what we were coming up into. And um, we're there. We are right. We are there. We're there. And I think it's, um, I know a lot of people are worried about jobs, but I don't think that they really need to worry. I do think that they need to maybe step it up a little bit, but I think they can use this to their advantage if if they are, if they would just pivot their minds a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, just in a few use cases I shared, um, like I said, it, it doesn't require, um, a huge investment Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, there's a, a newsletter, um, superhuman and it's, it's a daily thing and it just comes and it talks about all the different AI things that are dropping on a regular basis. And like I said, some of these things are, are, are free or nominal. And then even some of the ones that there is a subscription, it's not that much. Um, like I love Dolly, like creating AI images. And there are people who are literally, you know, have embraced it and are creating AI art, right? And they they say, I'm an artist. Well, you are because it's, yeah, because it does, it does take effort to get it um, so you can get it appropriate. I had a post the other day, and and I had purposely left the error in the image as a scroll stopper. And people were, were commenting on it because there was like a third arm on this person. Oh. <laughs> and and I was like, hey, it worked. I mean, I saw it, but I wanted people to stop and they did and they commented. And I'm like, see, you know, like there are different ways to get people to scroll stop. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be like, yeah, some naked guy on LinkedIn to get you to stop, right? 
<laughs> well, but you know, it, it's so, so, so interesting. Okay. So I'm going to pivot us just for a little bit here, just real quick. So um, we can kind of uh, wrap up a little bit here, but so Randy, w- I, everybody on the podcast knows that I am a huge animal lover, have mm-hmm. six dogs. Um, and you know, now guys, I only have 37 chickens. One of them just disappeared. One of them got sick. And then there is this Newfoundland that this Newfoundland, beautiful, sweet dog that is grown up with my baby chickens. One of them got over the fence and he ate it. So there were white feathers everywhere. <laughs> but I'm like, I still love the dog, even though he ate my chicken. I still love this dog. But you have got, so I say all of this because Randy also has dogs. Um, but quite the opposite of Tamara's three and a half pound Japanese chin. But <laughs> <laughs> Randy calls mine snack size. Um, Randy, you have Rottweilers? Yes, yeah, so they're it's not officially recognized by the AKC, but they're called Rodico. So it's a Rottweiler um, and Kena or Can Corso, which is a a, a mastiff. Um, but oh, I have wow. I have a brother and sister. So yeah, they're three years old. They're about hundred pounds each. Um, yeah, they're sweet, sweet, sweet dogs. But you know they're hundred pounds each, so they're cross between Rottweiler and Kena Corso, which is an English mastiff. So just think big head big chest. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that is the dog you snuggle with when you lay on top of the dog, the dog doesn't lay on you. (laughs) (laughs) I usually have one on either side of me, um, you know, smothering me, but that's, that's fine. (laughs) Hey, you know, there is something about that unconditional love. And, you know, I try to tell non-dog people this all the time. There is this unconditional love that you cannot, that humans do not possess. Humans do not possess this same kind of unconditional love that dogs do. And I, you know, of course my mom would go, no, I love you guys unconditionally. I'm like, yes, until you're mad at me. So then it's not unconditional because I can be mad at the dog and the dog still loves me. So like we're, we're good there. But, um, I really, you know, the two you I guess you just have to experience 200 pound dogs on either side of you to be able to understand yeah. that. And, and you know just with the unconditional you know for someone who hasn't had a dog you know think about this you know you leave and you come back and they're happy to see you it doesn't matter the length of time like I could go out to the mailbox and come back and they're happy to see me I could come back an hour later because I had to run to the store they're happy to see it. There's just something about, about it. And, you know, dogs are very social animals. Like, you know, lots of times I'll be working. One has to have their head on me or a paw on me. They have to be touching me. Uh, <laughs> they really are. They're just really big goofball babies. They just happen to be a hundred pounds each. <laughs> I cannot wait to see pictures of these babies. I can, you know. I had a photo shoot. I had a photo shoot with them. So I will send you a picture from my from my photo shoot with them because oh, how fun. <laughs> how much I love my dog. <laughs> that is so fun. You know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to take all six of them to sit on Santa's lap. Like that's uh-huh. my next thing. I'm like, the little ones are easy. You know, they're like right. this big. Um, But, you know, 
I've got Zeus, who is a miniature golden doodle, who thinks mm-hmm. that he's a toddler, a two-year-old that has to sit on my hip and carry him around like he's a two-year-old on a regular basis. Um, and then my blue healer, who is still just a year old and smart, smart, smart dog. Um, but she insists on hurting everybody all the time. Like yeah. the chickens, like I had to tell her to stop the other day because she wanted to hurt that's the in, chickens. That's, in, that's ingrained in them, right? They got, it they is. got working dog. Yeah. Those working dogs. And I'm like, chicken. Like, cause she had it by the, she had it kind of by the body. I'm like, I for sure thought he, it was dead. And she just dropped it. And I was like, chicken was ran off. I was like, okay, well, it's not bleeding. So at least <laughs> we, we, we made it through. Um, so I'm, that's exciting. So I'm really like, Knew you had dogs. I was like, this is great. She's a dog person. I love it. Can have that conversation with her. So um, before we sign off, um, tell us how we can connect with you. Um, Because I want everybody to be able to connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'm guessing probably LinkedIn, probably the best way. Um, I know... I, I got to you through the Bessler website. So okay. I know you're up on the website there too. So yeah. um, best way to ke- best way for us to get in touch with you. Yeah, really the best way is is LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's Randy hyphen Sue um Deckard. And yeah, um feel free to connect with me. Yes, that's it's- the easiest way. Yeah, that's fun. So the reason I want everybody to connect with you is I know we've got a lot of CEOs, a lot of CFOs, um, COOs, um, HR, like those individuals that really do work with every aspect of an organization. Mm -hmm. You are the expert um, from what I have found and digging, you know, through LinkedIn, you really are the expert um, and very um, well-respected within the community for your talents on the customer experience. And so as um, you know, you guys have questions or you, you know, just want to run something by somebody, Randy is the person that you would run that by. So Randy, I appreciate all of your time and visiting with us and walking, you know, us through what this customer experience really should look like. Um, Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Tamara. It's great to be on. Hey, thanks. All right, everybody. This is Tamara with Everything Is Up. Make sure you guys reach out to Randy on LinkedIn. Make sure you subscribe and share the podcast with your family and friends. We appreciate you guys. Everybody have a great week. Thanks, Randy. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Everything Is Up. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And remember... Everything is up.